Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Audio Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast put together by those of us at SciTech to help you stay connected with our wonderful universe by simply observing our night sky. My name is Leah, and I am one of the presenters at the SciTech Planetarium, and it is my pleasure to take you on another journey of our night sky where together we will learn just a little bit more of what is out there. This recording is timed to take place for 7.30pm on Saturday the 11th of April. But for the part of the sky I'm going to be talking about tonight, you can view it at any time of the night, any time of the year. So if the weather isn't being terribly kind tonight, don't fear, you can listen to this tomorrow night or even a night six months from now, it will still be fairly accurate. Now, the most important thing you need to do right in this exact moment is make sure you're outside. Is it nighttime? Perfect. Make yourself comfortable then, perhaps grabbing a chair that leans back a little and making sure you're wearing some nice warm clothes. As you're relaxing there in the dark, your eyes are slowly adjusting, becoming more sensitive to the darkness. Your pupils are widening, allowing more light to enter your eyes, which means over time, you are starting to get better at noticing those fainter objects. Watch over time as you start to spot a few more faint stars here and there. Typically, when you stargaze, you want to make sure that you keep your eyes adjusted to the darkness. As soon as you expose your eyes to a bright light, you lose that glorious sky full of both bright and faint objects. This is the reason we normally ask people to turn off bright objects during a planetarium show. As soon as you create a bright light, you and everyone else around you lose that darkness sensitivity and our eyes take some time getting it back. If you do ever need some light while you are stargazing, then don't use regular white lights. Instead, use a filtered red light. Red light doesn't overexpose or create too blinding of a light for the rods in our eyes. And so, it means you can maintain that sensitivity a little better. Just make sure the light isn't too bright. We are also lucky tonight that the moon isn't out just yet. It will be appearing a little later in the night, but for now it leaves us with a nice dark sky. Now hopefully in the time it's taken me to say all of that, your eyes are even more sensitive to the fainter objects in the sky. And it means that we are ready to start observing. Tonight, I'm going to focus on a really famous part of the sky, a part of the sky that contains a very well-known constellation, especially here in Australia. Can you guess what constellation I'm talking about? There are a lot to choose from. In fact, there are 88 modern constellations to choose from, but I'm talking about none other than the Southern Cross. 
It's a constellation that most of us are familiar with, particularly thanks to the fact that the easiest place to spot it is on the Australian flag. The funny thing is though, despite the fact it is such a famous constellation, it can be a little bit tricky to spot. And the reason why is because it is simply four stars in the sky that make a cross. And as I'm sure you're starting to realize as you look up, it is really easy to make crosses out of stars in the sky. So which of these crosses is the Southern Cross? Well, I can help you find it in the sky. But first, we need to get orientated. If you remember from last week, Leon gave you a really useful tip on how to find your way in the sky and help to locate north, south, east and west. Do you remember how to find west? We can always find west as the direction that the sun sets in the evening. Now I'm hoping that you have waited until after the sun has set before you started listening but I'm sure you can remember in relation to your backyard or wherever you are, what direction the sun sets in. So I want you to face that way now. As we face west, I want you to remember that finding the Southern Cross is actually really easy. There are just two important things that you need to remember. The first is what direction to face. If you're not sure, then I'll give you a hint. It is hidden in the name. We can find the Southern Cross in the Southern Sky. So what I want you to do now is face towards the South, which is as simple as turning to the left. As you look at the Southern Sky, you can probably make out quite a few stars and at least three distinct cross formations in the sky. This leads me onto the second important thing to remember when finding the Southern Cross. Once you're facing south, you want to try and find two very bright stars in the sky that are about three finger widths apart from each other. And all that means is if you stretch your hand up, you should fit two to three fingers in between the two stars. One will be bright yellow in color and closer to the horizon the other will be just above it and a bright blue-white colour. The reason why finding these two stars is so important is because they help guide us to the Southern Cross. In fact, together they have the nickname the Pointers. So how do they point us to the Southern Cross you may ask? Well, what I want you to do is look carefully at the two stars. And starting with the yellow one, I want you to draw a line straight up to the blue one with your finger. Now keep that straight line going until you reach a bright red star, which isn't too far ahead. This star is the top of the cross and just to the right, you should make out the other stars that make up our very famous constellation, the Southern Cross. If you look at the rest of the stars in this area, you'll note that those other crosses in the southern sky don't have two bright stars near them. 
so you can guarantee that if you use this method, you will always be able to find the Southern Cross. In fact, you can use this method any time of the night, any time of the year, because they will always point you to the Southern Cross. The fun thing is, you can actually use the Southern Cross and the pointers to find your way in the night sky. Using the method of fighting west by facing towards the sunset is simple and effective, but it's not always useful when stargazing. The most obvious reason being, of course, the fact that the sun is not up during the night time. So if you're not familiar with the area you're in and you're not certain what direction the sun has set in, that can leave you a little stuck. But I have a good method to use during the night that is not only easy, but much more accurate than facing towards the sun. And the only way it could go wrong was if the sky was a little cloudy. And if that's the case, I would probably recommend a compass instead if you are stuck. As I mentioned, the method involves the Southern Cross and the pointers, which together help you find directly south. So we're going to do this step by step. The first thing to do is draw a line using your finger from the top bright red star of the Southern Cross. Draw that line through the long axis down to the star at the bottom of the cross. Now follow that direction of the line and continue to draw that line out into the sky. Now the second thing I want you to do is I want you to find the middle point between the two pointer stars. And from that point, I want you to draw another line out into the sky. This line will stick out at exactly sideways from the line where we drew before to find the Southern Cross. All right, those two steps are easy, but now we're going to do this again. This time though, we're going to draw both lines at the same time with your hands. So start with that top red star and the other finger I want you to put to the middle point between the pointers and draw those lines. As you do this, you will notice a point where the two lines meet or where your two fingers touch. This point here is a very special point in the sky known as the South Celestial Pole. It is quite literally the South Pole of the sky. It sits exactly over the South Pole of the Earth and it lines up with the Earth's rotation axis, which means as time goes on, all of the stars appear to be moving around this single point in the sky. So if you trace a star's path over the course of a single night, it will draw out a circle around this part of the sky. Once you have found the South Celestial Pole, the only thing left to do is draw a line from that point straight down to the horizon. Where it meets the ground is directly south. This gives you an accurate reference point for all the other directions. And this skill of using the stars to help navigate, otherwise known as celestial navigation, it is something that people have been doing 
for thousands of years, including when pioneers first set sail to explore the world. The stars always helped them find their way. After getting a little more familiar with some of the special objects in the southern sky, I want to focus your attention back to the pointer stars. While their nickname is pretty accurate, the two stars do have their own individual star names. The bright yellow one is known as Alpha Centauri, and the blue-white one is Beta Centauri. These names might not sound as cool as Sirius or Polaris, but it gives you a bit of an insight into how stars are assigned their names. Now they both end with Centauri because they are part of the much larger constellation of Centaurus, which actually surrounds the top part of the Southern Cross. It resembles a centaur, the mythical creature that was half human, half horse, and Alpha and Beta Centauri show the place of its front legs. This particular centaur represents the wise Tudor Chiron, who taught some of the great Greek heroes such as Heracles and Jason, names you may recognize if you know your Greek mythology. Now, the reason why these stars are called Alpha and Beta is because of how bright they are. The way it works is you take the brightest star from a constellation and designate that Alpha. You then take the second brightest star in the constellation and that becomes Beta. Then the third brightest star becomes Gamma and you keep on going through the Greek alphabet until you cover all the stars within the constellation. This is a process called Bayer designation and it's one of the ways that stars get catalogued. Now, some of you may have heard of the star Alpha Centauri before, and that's because it's actually quite a special star. Any guesses on what could make it so special? It's not because it's the biggest star or even the brightest. No, this star is so special because it is the closest. Now, I want to clarify here. The closest star to our planet is none other than the Sun. But the closest star to our solar system is Alpha Centauri. Personally, I like to think of it as our next door neighbor in the galaxy, except it's still really far away. I'm talking trillions and trillions of kilometers, or to be exact, 41 trillion kilometers away. So yeah, it's close, but still pretty far. Now, when we come to measuring distances out in space, we don't stick with kilometers because it's just not a very effective unit of measurement for distances so large. Instead, we use a measurement known as a light year. You may be familiar with that term already, but if you're not, don't be confused. A light year is not a measurement of time, but a measurement of distance. You see, light is universal. From the bright light of the street lights around you to the light shining bright from the stars above. And light, it is the fastest thing in the universe, 
traveling at 300,000 kilometers per second. To give you an idea of how fast that is, it could travel to the moon and back in about two and a half seconds. And that speed is constant. It doesn't speed up or slow down. It stays the same. So it means we can measure how far light travels in one year. And then that distance becomes a light year. A simple way to think about it though, is if you look up at Alpha Centauri, you are looking at a star that is 4.3 light years away, which means that the light from that star has taken just over four years to leave the surface of the star, travel through space and reach your eyes here on Earth. It also means that you are actually looking at light that is a little over four years old. If you think back to four years ago, what were you doing? For me, I was making my start in the SciTech Planetarium, training up and learning how to be a master of the universe. Now, if there was someone there right now on Alpha Centauri, looking back at the Earth with a very powerful telescope, they would see what it was that you were doing four years ago. And they would also be watching my first ever planetarium show. You see, even though light is quick, it still takes time to travel those vast distances of space. So whenever we are looking out at the stars, whether it's Alpha Centauri or any other star in the sky for that matter, we are constantly looking into the past as their light takes time to reach us. Before I finish up, there is one more interesting thing I would like to point out in regards to Alpha Centauri. I said that Alpha Centauri is the closest star to the solar system, but that is not exactly true. What it actually is, is the closest star system to our solar system. You may not realize it, but our sun is pretty unique. A single star surrounded by a family of planets. Most stars out there in the galaxy are not solo. They are joined by their brothers and sisters to make multiple star systems. Sometimes you can find two stars orbiting together in space, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes hundreds. We can leave the why for another episode. What I want you to focus on is the fact that Alpha Centauri is a system of three stars orbiting each other. Towards the center of this system are two bright stars orbiting each other, both similar in size to the sun. Together, these two stars appear to be one bright star in our night sky here on Earth. But further out from these two stars is a third star orbiting around them. Although this star is much smaller and more red in color, and unfortunately not visible to the human eye. This little star, however, this star is actually the closest star to the sun, giving it the name Proxima Centauri, 
proxima, meaning nearest. Even though it is a tiny little star, in fact, it is about six times smaller than our sun, it does have something in common with our sun. You see, just like the sun, it has a planet orbiting around it, something we call an exoplanet. Exo meaning out, exoplanets are planets that are found outside of our solar system. And while we are slowly finding more and more exoplanets in our galaxy, thanks to the use of technology, it is incredible to think that our nearest neighbor right there has a planet of its very own. It makes you think though, if we can find an exoplanet around the nearest star to our solar system, then exoplanets must be everywhere in our galaxy. This planet orbiting around Proxima Centauri is called Proxima b. We don't know an awful lot about the exoplanet itself. While we are getting good at discovering exoplanets, our technology isn't quite ready for us to be learning whether planets have atmospheres or oceans like the Earth just yet. But there are some things we can learn about it thanks to physics. For example, we know that it only takes 11 Earth days to do one orbit around its star. That's how long one year is on Proxima b. 11 Earth days. Imagine how old you would be if you lived on this planet. Do you want to know how old I would be? 994. The reason why it has such a quick orbit is because Proxima b is much, much closer to its star. Compared to the Earth's distance to the Sun, it is roughly 20 times closer, which would put it well inside Mercury's orbit if Proxima b was in our own solar system. Yet, even though it is so close to its star, we think that Proxima b is actually in the habitable zone of Proxima Centauri. The habitable zone is known as the perfect distance from a star, where the surface temperature of a planet would be just right for liquid water to exist. For example, the Earth is in the Sun's habitable zone. We're not too close that all the water would boil off into space, but not too far away that all our water would freeze. And Proxima b is also in this perfect distance from its own star. That seems a little strange, right? Being so close to a star, but potentially being cool enough to have water? Well, the reason why is thanks to the fact that Proxima Centauri is actually a type of star called a red dwarf. Red dwarfs are small, but they are also some of the coolest stars out there in the universe. And by coolest, I do mean cold. Maybe in a later episode, we can go through all the different star types and vote on which one we think is the coolest. But for now, I do mean cold. I should clarify though, they are still quite hot for humans with surface temperatures of around 3000 degrees Celsius. But these are some of the coolest temperatures for stars. Some stars, 
can reach up to tens of thousands of degrees and our very own sun has a surface temperature of nearly 6,000 degrees Celsius. So this means that Proxima Centauri isn't giving out as much energy as other stars, so a planet can still be close enough and be at that perfect temperature for liquid water. And that is exactly where we find Proxima B. Now we don't know whether it does actually have water or not yet, but it leaves something for us to continue to explore and find what else we can discover of our nearest neighbour. Well, that brings us to the end of the second episode. Tonight we learned a little bit about our southern sky, including using the pointers to find the southern cross and how to find south, and also a little bit about our nearest neighbour Alpha Centauri. As you can see, there are a lot of hidden secrets in our night sky that we will continue to unravel episode by episode. But if you can't wait to find out more, you can always check out online resources. Personally, I would recommend checking out NASA's website, which has countless of pages of resources and information to explore. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to your company again for the next episode of Audio Guide to the Galaxy. Good night, everyone. <laughs>